This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Today, Rohit Sethi from Security Compass is joined by David Fairman, Chief Security Officer at Netscope, to understand the concept of cyber physical systems and how these are transforming the way we interact with engineered objects and infrastructure. We will also delve into the security concerns for cyber physical systems as they play an increasingly vital role in critical infrastructure and can cause massive damage in the event of a cyber attack. In addition, David will talk about the use of these systems in the financial services sector, drawing from his experience. Well, David, thank you for joining. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, good to see you, Rohit. It's been a while. It's uh, really, really great to catch up. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's start with um, understanding from your perspective what what is a cyber physical system. Yeah, look, it, it's a good question. I think um, it's good for us to, to sort of level set that in, in terms of this conversation. So I think um, a lot of people sort of think of the IoT and OT world and, and how does that come together. And we've got the integrated security model, but I think you know sort of the broad understanding of cyber physical systems. You know, it's really those systems that are more engineered or, or orchestrated. To, to for sensing computational control networking analytics and how all that interacts in the physical world so you know some of those key things if i think about how does that interact with the physical world we're seeing smart cities we're seeing you know smart cars we're seeing um, think about the, the control systems for critical infrastructure with oil and gas with water systems how is that all coming together and how does that have potential physical ramifications? So that's really what we're talking about when we're thinking about, at least when I think about cyber physical systems. Well, yeah, that's, that's meaty stuff. And uh, I think uh, <laughs> things that we, we all are very interested in in this industry. What kinds of risks do cyber physical systems pose to our society for organizations, for consumers, for society at large? Yeah, look, I, I think that the, the risks are uh, much greater than probably how we've thought about cyber risk previously because of that physical harm or the potential physical harm outcome. We've seen a number of examples, or at least one example recently, I think in, in the past couple of months where there was a death related in a hospital as a result of a ransomware attack, right? Um, when you start thinking about internet connected devices and the you know, potential uh, vulnerabilities that they can that, that, that they can have and, and how they can be exploited and those devices are reliant on providing some sort of critical service whether that's electricity whether it's water supply you know capabilities that is where it becomes a challenge right so for coming back to your, your question I think it's I think the risks are, are more the outcome the impact of that risk is much more greater these days yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So you, you have a lot of experience in the banking sector. What lessons can we take from what you saw in the banking sector, which is you know often at the forefront of cybersecurity? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. It is, and I think um, there's a number of different things that we can we can learn about. One, I think financial services. You know, to your point, often at the forefront, they, they have good methodologies. They have good processes. They have discipline and rigor around how they do certain things. At least, you know, on the broad, uh, broadly speaking, you know, they're probably the most mature in that space. I think that's what we need when we start thinking about these more, uh, you know, critical infrastructure-related type um, systems. So, how do we bring that level of rigor, discipline, framework, and best practice into the development and creation 
and support and operations of those systems, I think is one thing. And I think probably the other big thing is the fusion centers, right? Now, if you think about the banks that, you know, there's been a big push in banks and not just within financial services, probably some government industries and some other sectors, but particularly in the banks around bringing their fraud, physical, cybersecurity, intelligence uh, teams together underneath one integrated front-to-back security operating model. And I think that's probably some of the, the learnings we can get from that, particularly when we're talking about physical security systems or, or things that are physically securely related. Coming back to that, that, that cyber element, I'll give you an example of my previous role when I was in National Australia Bank. You know, I ran, I was the enterprise security officer there and I had everything from fraud, physical security, exec protection, uh, cyber, intelligence, et cetera, all underneath my remit. And, you know, a lot of our physical security devices or systems for our banks, for alarm systems, for our executive protection, for, uh, you know, not only alarm systems, video surveillance cameras, et cetera, all IP connected, right, and internet connected in some way, shape or form. Now, you know, those things are, are pretty critical. You need to make sure that they're as robust and as protected, but they're not necessarily always managed by the technology teams. Mm. They're sort of outsourced and, and, and the operating model or, or the way that those things are supported are very, very different, but they're just as vulnerable. And actually what we ended up doing is figuring out how we were, we were bringing that in-house and up uh, and really uplifting the management and the rigor around the, the protection and monitoring of those systems. Um, because a lot of those organizations uh, that have come from that physical world don't necessarily have the understanding of the, the cyber and the, the technology world and maybe not as um, mature in their thinking around that. So I think that's probably you know, somewhere where the broader industry can learn from financial services, particularly once we start talking about that, that fusion center concept. So interesting. So you know, um, maybe just to build on that a little bit, you, you mentioned you did that in, at uh, National Australia Bank. Did you find that's a trend happening across banking? And, and how do you make the business case for something like that? Sounds like could be more expensive. Maybe not, uh, but depends, I guess, on how you implement it. Yeah, look, great. Look, there's definitely an impetus for it across the industry. Um, National Australia Bank was the first bank in Australia to go down that path. Um, but in the in my experience in the US and the UK, there, there's definitely a lot of... Uh, you know, financial services organisations that have gone down that path. You know, City, Citigroup, JP Morgan, um, RBS, uh, Barclays have definitely gone down that path, just to, just to name a few. And um, if I think about RBS, actually, to be honest, in my RBS days um, in the late 2000s and, um, you know, into 2010, 2011, I worked for security and fraud which, um, which had all that underneath one roof, underneath a, a security and fraud director, or director of security and fraud, which had physical everything together. So it's actually been around for quite some time, but I think it's, it's just becoming more prevalent now because people are really starting to see that, that, that connection. So yeah, look, definitely um, some, some momentum in that space. Okay, and, and you mentioned at the tail end there, uh, the previous question, uh, a fusion center. So you, can oh, you yeah. a little bit more on that? What is a fusion center and why is yeah. it? Look, this is where I think we get the, the strategic advantage, if you want to call it that, but the material outcomes. If you think about those various worlds, and I call them worlds, we can call them disciplines, we can call them strains, whether it's the fraud, the physical security, the cyber security and intelligence teams, very much 
traditionally they could have been managed in very disparate organizations, very disparate teams. Those data sets are disparate. The fusion center for me, my definition of fusion center is how do you bring all that, those disparate data sets together onto one big data platform and then start to understand the patterns and the correlations between activity that's happening in your ecosystem mm-hmm. and understanding and, and therefore by bringing all that together and doing that sort of leveraging data science in terms of you know, clustering analysis, machine learning, et cetera, to identify patterns and anomalies that you probably wouldn't have seen before because those data sets were disparate Right. You know, I think it becomes very, very advantageous and, and you'll learn things about your environment and you'll start to identify things that would have just flown under the radar before that just would not have been visible. Right? It increases your visibility, but it also increases the situational awareness. You know what's going on at a, at a point in time and, and you're starting to monitor that in a lot more real time. And, and you look at a tr- like a very mature a fusion centre, it's just not looking at that data. It's looking at external events. It's looking at external current events. It's looking at you know, weather and, and natural disaster events. So, so you can start to overlay, what does this mean to me from a resiliency perspective for my organisation? So all those things start to come together and, and culminate to give an organisation a much more richer um, visibility, much more richer insights and allow them to, to build and operate a much more resilient organisation. That's that's pretty cool. I, I think... Yeah. I, Actually, one thing I didn't answer there for you, you asked about it could be more expensive um, in your question. Look, I think um, there's actually synergies to be realized, right? Because what you will see Hmm. is when those organizations are very disparate and those teams aren't really working together or you don't really have a good cross-function operating model, there's a lot of handoffs, there's a lot of duplication. So if you do it right and you structure it organizationally and, and you make this a really data-driven, intelligence-led capability, I actually think that there can be some synergies and some cost savings, but it takes effort and it takes time. And it sounds to me like it's, one thing it would definitely take is the right skills, which, which is probably one of the, one of the core challenges uh, if, if you yeah. need to get that done. Yeah, absolutely. But it's funny, like I, I used to say, and a few of my teams will, will this this comment will resonate with them that they've heard this before. You'll have cyber teams become fraud experts, you'll have physical teams become cyber experts, and, right. and you start to cross-pollinate that skill set, mm-hmm. which is actually great for an organization because you're 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 building out that capability and uplifting that skill set, you know, on a much broader platform than you were before. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty interesting perspective. That's a um, good way to think about it. So coming back to the concept of a cyber physical system, you know, how important is it to build security, privacy, and compliance into the design of cyber physical systems? Yeah, look, I think it's um, more important now than ever before. And I think it comes back to the point I made at the start of the conversation, which is around when we're talking about cyber physical systems, we're really talking about, you know, the potential for physical harm, you know, threat, uh, life-threatening situations. I mentioned that that uh, example about, you know, where somebody died as a result of a ransomware attack in a, in a hospital, right? We're talking about people, you know, physical harm and potential life-threatening conditions. So if there's ever been a motivation for us to, to think about how do we design systems securely, uh, this is the time to be doing it. And if you think, and actually I was reading an article around that, that Gartner predicts that the financial impact of um, uh, cyber physical system attacks resulting in fatal casualties is going to reach over 50 billion 
by 2023. That's without even taking into the actual value of human life. That's just as a result of the cost compensation, litigation, insurance, regulatory fines, et cetera. Um, so you know, that's, uh, that's something that we need to be thinking about as an industry and, and making sure that we're, we're solving for this more so than ever before. That's a, that's a big number. Um, it is. And I imagine it's only going to get bigger over time. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me, you know, the, the whole concept of building security in as a, as a, a need, um, we think about some of the other standards, laws, requirements that have come out over the past couple of decades, um, you know, and this is maybe from my perspective, because this is the area I live and breathe on a daily basis, but it's, in- it's interesting to me to see how many, you know, best practice standards and frameworks mm. total, totally miss the concept of building security into products. And so, you know, for example, uh, I was talking to a regulator for a um, energy mm-hmm. sector regulator, let's say, uh, and, and it was a pretty critical energy sector re- regulator. And they had modeled their security program off the NIST cybersecurity framework, which is, which mm-hmm. is a really it's good, robust solid. framework. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Right. But it's, it's about overall cybersecurity. And so, you know, capability, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really go into concepts of product security, which I think is a new, relatively new emergent area. I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's starting to, to gain um, a little bit of, like, yeah. I'd say, independence from, from cybersecurity. So, anyway, th- those concepts weren't introduced at all. And so, there were people, you know, introducing new standards to mm. the energy sector. And, you know, I know this is in the past few years, it's not decades ago that uh, t- totally missed this concept of like, you know, that the products should be secure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think you're right. I think there's definitely been a, a growth towards that. And you can sort of like, you know, a good analogy is the energy star rating that you get for products, right? So right. this product gives you four-star energy rating versus this product gives you a two-star energy rating. So I think that product-specific um, benchmarking or indication of standards you know, we're going to start to see that over time. And, and it's interesting. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to be part of the uh, Australian Cybersecurity uh, Strategy 2020 um, oh. think tank that was um, that was stood up here. And uh, Australia's just, the Australian government's just released that. And, and part of those conversations in, in those workshops were around um, cybersecurity standards for products and what role does government need to play around that and where does industry play a role around that. We're definitely starting to see that. And what we will see, I think it'll be the same thing as, as I said, your washing machine gives you a four-star yeah. energy rating. Well, your washing machine will start to see you give you a four-star security rating, right? It's, it's only a matter of time before we get there. Yeah, I, I agree. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things that's already happened is this concept of the the ISA secure designation, the uh, ISA 62443. Um, and that's really the you know, industrial IoT um, sector, which they've, you're starting to see companies certify against yeah. that standard. And eventually you just won't be able to, you know, be able to, to, to get customers unless you, you know, meet, yeah. meet that yeah. minimum standard. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, how that gets regulated too over time, right? Yeah. So if you think of like California released a few years ago their IoT regulation, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and but that was pretty. That was a little bit. I don't want to say uh, uh, 
loose, but it was nebulous in terms, it's, it's like everything in terms of you have to provide reasonable levels of standards. So define reasonable, let's define right. reasonable. What does reasonable mean? And, and that means different things to different people. These standards that you're talking about are, are going to that next level of detail. They're becoming very, very specific, right? Yeah. So they're setting a clear standard. And I think that's where um, it'll be interesting to see how regulation and industry best practice starts to converge and, and how that um, starts to, to, to come together over time. And therefore, it will change behaviours in terms of how products are built and how organisations uh, think about that product design. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and I think absent of that, you know, when I look at what happens in, in product companies, and it's not not unlike the rest of cybersecurity, the the whole concept of you know line one, line two, line three. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. If if you don't have that kind of pressure from a business perspective, like a competitive pressure or at least a very clear regulatory pressure, you know, it's very hard for people in product security to to push the agenda of yeah. changing process. You know, for the for the sake of becoming more secure. That's not to say it never happens. It's just it's a difficult uphill battle. It's it's, it's a tough. Yeah, exactly. Unless there's some sort of um, you know something complying you or driving you to have to to meet that standard. It's uh, sometimes the greater good and the right thing to do doesn't always prevail when it, when it means yeah. you know speed to market. Um, but because it's actually you mentioned it's about a risk management framework, right? So you know a good security person wants to fix everything, but there's also a, a, an element around but what level of risk do we want to accept? Every organisation will have a risk appetite in some way, shape or form, but there are certain things that will have much less risk appetite and that'll be those things that result in potential physical harm. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It's, right. it's a harder thing to, to put into those, you know, quantitative risk models <laughs> for sure. Exactly, exactly. Right. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you wanted to, to share here, uh, David, from your perspective, your experience? No. No, no, I don't think so. I think it's been a, a great conversation. Thank you for, for um, inviting me to this, Robert. It's been fantastic. Likewise. Well, I really appreciate you coming on um, and you know, look forward to doing it again sometime. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. Can't get enough of the balancing act? Make sure to check out our website at www.securitycompass.com and be sure to subscribe to our channel for more episodes. Mm-hmm.